to the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 12, we feature two Space Behemoth-themed games. First, we rumble with a side-scrolling Thunder Fox, and then snake our way through the exhaust corridors with the budget game Sidewinder 2. Now, here are your hosts, David and Michael. Well, we have a few uh, developments on the podcast to talk about, and we have some uh, sad news. Bill, uh, one of the original ex-egos on the podcast, has decided to take a bit of a hiatus from the show due to life's many responsibilities. He was here with us from day one and contributed greatly to the show. He has told us he's not gone, and hopefully he'll be back in one form or another, either dropping by as a guest, reviewer, or submitting segments. We really look forward to that. Now, the second sad news. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that will be the case with Kieran. Kieran has informed us that he's made a decision to have a less of an online presence, and part of that is also a being part of this show. As just a reminder, Kieran brought to the show a point of view from the other side of the pond by showing us many budget titles that didn't make it over here in the U.S., he also had a wealth of knowledge when it came to history of gaming and the gaming industry. We wish Kieran the very best and want to thank him for all his contributions to the show. Thank you, Kieran. So you're probably asking, what does that mean for the show? For now, the plans are to retire the budget game segments. That was Kieran's segment, and I don't think we could do it justice. So this will be the last episode in which we cover a budget game. We'll also be trying to get back to reviewing two games per episode. As most listeners know, I'm also a part of the Atari 5200 podcast. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to plan to record an Atari 5200 podcast episode every other month. And this podcast in between recording the 5200 podcast. So what does that mean? That means at least we should be bringing you six episodes a year for each show. So that means plenty of 8-bit enjoyment and awesomeness. Yay! Yay! So, <laughs> for right now, we've gone from four ex-egos to two ex-egos, and whenever Bill is able to come back, he'll be a half ex-ego. <laughs> so this is, what, a two-bit show instead of a four-bit show? <laughs> I guess so. So, Michael, what's new with you? Well, it's been, uh, you know, some time since we've had a, a recording, so um, I've got a lot to talk about. I'll try to be quick. Um, I got some new acquisitions. I got a, um, well, I was speaking to a local guy named Damien Gard. And Damien, coincidentally, uh, used to live in San Francisco and knows Bill uh, from going to Bill's Atari parties. So um, I mentioned that, uh, you know, we had that little, this little podcast. And in, I said the closest thing I had to an XEGS was the 130XE. So Damien said, hey, I'm, I've got an XEGS. I'm not using it. You want it? So he gave it to me for free. So I want to thank Damien uh, very much for that generous gift, and I'd like to make Damien an official friend of the show, which means you get a, a team uh, member pin and a tote bag, and it's in the mail. No, it's, seriously, we don't have anything, but thank you very much, Damien. Um, also got a... Uh, well, can we send him at least a certificate? I, well, next time I see him, I'll, uh, I'll give him like a coupon, like, you know... Uh, well, get, get one of your kids to uh, make yeah. up some kind of like uh, a certificate. Uh, you are a formal member of the XEGS Cart by Cart friend membership. Yeah, exactly. Photoshop's uh, Your benefits are you get to listen to the show for free. <laughs> Wait, everybody gets that. <laughs> I didn't say they were good benefits. I just said it was benefits. <laughs> 
So I also um, picked up a boxed uh, 1010. Uh, it's in pretty good condition, uh, but the box has seen better days. And also got Day Ray Atari. Also in okay condition. I had this book as a kid, and it was way beyond my abilities to understand it. But it's a very iconic book and helped a lot of Atari developers create some great uh, groundbreaking software. So I think that'll be a great addition to my uh, bookshelf. Um, I also got online with my Atari 800. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of Arata. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Arata Online using uh, the Plato Term cartridge. And I also picked up a Elantronics UDS-10 serial to Ethernet adapter a while back. So um, got the software installed and plugged in the Elantronics, uh, and nothing worked. And that's because um, uh, I didn't actually know that my the serial cable was uh, had a different pinouts than the regular serial cable. So um, after some uh, messing around and uh, some help from others uh, such as uh, Jason Howe, he got my um, he helped me configured the Lantronics device, which this thing is nuts. I mean, it's so far beyond my understanding of how to... I did like a little bit of it, and he came in with the rest. So, And also, the creator of um, the Play to Turn software, uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes, he helped me as well with that stuff. So it was uh, it was kind of a cool experience getting online. It wasn't very fast. It goes about 1,200 baud. But, um, you know, you, it's it's been how many years? 30 years since I've been online with one of these systems. So... Um, it was uh, that was kind of a cool experience. Irata Online is not just for Atari. I think he's he's expanded it to Commodore. I think there's other 8-bit computers that he's also um, bringing on into uh, the Irata Online experience. Is that correct? That is correct. There's many different systems. I'm, in fact, I think my my uh, television has a version of the software. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's got he's got a lot of a uh, lot of uh, software. It just keeps coming out. I'm I'm amazed how fast this stuff is coming out. I don't know what he's got going on. He must be really smart with this stuff because it's like, you know, I see posts all the time. Like, we got a new version for the TI-99 and the Commodore 64 and IBM PC. And I'm just, it's, it's nuts. So he's, he's doing a great service to the community. Uh, the other project I uh, was working on was, uh, the, you probably heard of the S, uh, S-Drive Max device. And that uses a uh, Arduino. And this comes a little, uh, well, it doesn't come with. I had to buy this, but uh, it's a little touchscreen. And um, so that required a little bit of uh, soldering and uh, a lot of reading. I mean, this is in this information is in about three different places, one of them being about 25 pages on the Atari uh, age forums. And it was just, you know, constant reading, reading, understanding, going back, asking people. You know, I even accidentally hooked up. Um, I didn't realize this, but I actually hooked up the five volts to the device, which is okay through the um, SIO plug. But unfortunately, I also plugged it into uh, an external power supply, which you're not supposed to do. Did not know that. And I, I, I couldn't get it to work on my 800. I'm like, what the heck? So I go out to uh, plug it into my 130XE, and I turn off the power, and there was still power going through the 130XE. And I went, oh, shoot. And I realized at that point in time, I was actually supplying 5 volts back into the machine. So I, I asked some people online. Mr. Robot came to the rescue, explained some things to me, and everything's working just fine now. So now I got a little... Uh, a uh, little device that acts as a uh, floppy drive and cassette drive. So I've been using that a little bit here and there. And as far as um, some additional stuff, uh, one of the guys at work brought in an Atari Flashback 8 Gold. And I had mentioned this would be kind of fun to have kind of a a challenge, a gaming challenge each week. And he says, well, that sounds like a great idea. So I decided to head it up and 
uh, each week I, I pick a game and send it out in an email and then everybody has a week to practice with the game and play the game and then whoever's the at the end of the week is the winner I send out in an email the scores of everybody and then a little little trophy uh, in the form of an image and it just says you know essentially their high score their name and then a kind of a unique image for each game so I, I actually make up a unique image so this week was uh, uh, Frogs and Flies which is really funny I haven't played that in years and uh, it seemed to be pretty popular and finally for all you saw my post on the Facebook page. Uh, my childhood friend Dave Clark participated in the seventh year of the Donkey Kong arcade competition, aka Kong Off 7, which is held March 15th through the 17th this year at the Museum of Pinball in Banning, California. And he beat Billy Mitchell right off the bat and got into the finals, but unfortunately he lost to Jeff Wolf taking second place. Uh, but it's still pretty amazing for a guy uh, from Tacoma, and he's also an excellent Pac Man player. So that's what's been going on with me. What about you, Dave? Not much lately 8-bit related, but just like Bill, you know, busy with work and family matters. Uh, just to let people know, there's a new episode of the Atari 200 podcast out there. We reviewed Star Wars, the arcade game, and Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. Uh, please have a listen and find out why the Schwartz was not with us. <laughs> I did, however, pick up a two-port 5200 uh, complete, and it looked really nice, minty. $99. However, had to replace the motherboard. Mm. Best electronics to the rescue. I have always wanted a two-port in my collection. Now, I almost had a chance to pick up a uh, 130XC that I remember I'd posted, you know, is it worth it for this price without a power supply and stuff like that? And it was in my neck of the woods, and I was going to go grab it for, it was about 65 Canadian dollars. And fortunately, the uh, Facebook seller went into radio silence and oh. never returned my messages. So mm. no 130XE for me. Oh. Anyway, for those that might know, I have a few hobbies or illnesses <laughs> besides Atari <laughs> and vintage gaming. So if you ever like the $6 million man and the Bionic Woman toys of the 1970s, feel free to drop by my Facebook page, uh, the $6 million man and Bionic Woman project where I share uh, my customs and many other custom action figures uh, from many other people. So if you're into uh, that, uh, please have a, li have a look. Uh, I'm sort of like a very, uh, I'm sort of, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I think I'm going backwards. I'm uh, reliving my childhood, as I said, one purchase at a time. So um, there's no future for me. It's, <laughs> I'm retrograding. So that's it. Okay. So, hey, uh, so you have a four port 5200 originally, right? Yeah, that's when I was a kid. Okay. I had uh, the the original four port. Uh, never, nothing ever burnt down. Uh, no fires. Uh, no power supply. Yeah. RF box so issues, but just wanted to get a two port, uh, probably just because uh, part of my illness. Yeah, you know gotcha. why not? You know, just why not have one, have one <laughs> part of the collection? Sure. And also, uh, you know, it does play the Atari twenty six hundred adapter without any issues. Oh, cool. Now, the only problem is, uh, once you take the Atari 5200, once you put on that Atari 2600 adapter, and well, once at the top of the adapter, you put the 2600 game, you have actually created a skyscraper. So <laughs> you better, you better be a little bit some distance from the TV set because you've got a wall that could sustain a few, uh, you know, gunshots. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't well, like or... a Sega CD or something like that that was like, there was, one on top of the other on top yeah. of the other. It was like, it was yeah. a stacking, you know. That's right, yeah. yeah. It's like Lego. Going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, anyway, what do you know? Yeah. I'm sick. I, I, everybody knows it, so <laughs> let's just go on. Okay. 
So let's talk about some... Well, we talked already about some sad news in the beginning of the episode. Now we're going to add a little bit more sad news. But don't worry. The game reviews will make you feel all warm and fuzzy, I think. Now, unfortunately, the Retro Junkies Network is no more. Uh, Here's an excerpt of his post, and he says here, It's bittersweet to announce that Landon and I have decided to end the Retro Junkies Network. So what does that all mean, my friends? Well, Landon and I talked... And we're probably going to shut down the Communal Retro Junkies Network Facebook page and the Twitter accounts. We will be keeping the Treehouse up. That's the that's a Facebook page uh, just so that we can chat and hang out. But that's about it. Uh, One more time. I want to thank you for all your friendship and for this incredible journey. It's been an absolute blast. We wish you all the best of luck with all the amazing shows and content. Len and I uh, will forever be your fans. God bless Rob. So what I did was, uh, as re- in response to his post in the Retro Junkies Treehouse, I think that's the last thing that will be on Facebook and there won't be anything else connected to the network anymore. But I put my response was, thank you from the Atari 5200 and the XCGS podcasts. Thank you for including us while it lasted. And so we would like, uh, so I guess the two ex-eagles that are left, (laughs) we would like to thank Robin and Landon for allowing us to be part of their network and wish them the best moving forward. Yes, thank you very much. Loves you, baby. You're beautiful. Okay, now, as I said, I promised... You're all going to get warm and fuzzy, so off we go to the game reviews. And over to Michael with our first game review. So the game is Thunder Fox. It was published in the USA in 88 and the UK in 87. The model number in the US is RX8113 and in the UK it was TX9041. The genre is shoot 'em up Uridium. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Um, it, developers were Noel Daniel, uh, Oro Cornelius for doing sound of Aztec design. And it's a one player game. Title on the back of the box actually has a tagline that says, Can you save the solar system from total annihilation? A heavy defended transport carries desilicate energy crystals for the approaching Phalon mothership. Once installed, these will power the deadly Phalon. Said to be capable of destroying an entire solar system in minutes. The Federation's only hope is the latest in slick, maneuverable space fighters. Thunder Fox. Your mission, should you accept it, is to locate and destroy these crystals, thus preventing the war machine from being built. You must take care to avoid deadly lasers and lengthy exposure to dangerous radiation as you navigate your way to the desilicate energy crystal room. 
Once there, you face the fearsome Crystal Guardian, which must be destroyed along with the crystals it guards by firing at its vulnerable, pulsating head. There's no time to waste. If the Guardian is not destroyed before the Phalan mothership reaches the transport, a death missile will be fired, annihilating Thunderfox and your mothership. The solar system will be left defenseless and doomed to imminent destruction. That pretty much sums up the mission. Give some description about the game. Um, movement. You move your joystick up and down to maneuver your ship to the top or the bottom of the screen. Moving your joystick left and right will not only turn your shift in that direction, but will also move in that direction. Uh, and if you move the joystick further, it'll move faster in that direction. To slow down, move your joystick in the opposite direction. So what weapons do you have? You have two types of weapons, lasers and bombs. You choose between the two by pressing the option or spacebar. To fire your selected weapons, press the fire button on the joystick. Use your lasers to take out airborne enemies and the Crystal Guardian. Use your bombs to destroy the anti-gravity stabilizers and ground installations. Your ship can only carry six bombs at a time to reload return to the mothership. After you start the game, by pressing the start or fire button, travel to the far right side of the outside of the transporter and target the two anti-gravity stabilizers that brought block access to the transporter. You must bomb each stabilizer five times while fighting off enemy fighter craft. If you take one hit, you're dead. After you destroy the stabilizer, you can enter the transporter's thermonuclear laser room. The name suggests this room is full of lasers, but these are deadly laser walls. Get your ship past these laser gates, but not too, too slowly. You see, these areas contain a high amount of radiation, and these rising levels indicate by the bar at the top of the screen will eventually kill you. If you're able to get past the lasers, you'll find yourself in the crystal room and face-to-face -face with a crystal guardian. He sits on the right side of the screen and fires at you behind a protective barrier. But there is a slight hole in his defenses. Make 10 well-placed shots through these security oversights and right into his head and you will be victorious and destroy the transporter. After destroying the transporter, a congratulatory screen will be displayed to you with some bonus score information. For each alien formation and transporters destroyed, each score will be multiplied by 100. Let's start off with the big points. For scoring, destroying the Crystal Guardian gives you a whopping 1,000 points. Each alien is 70 points. The Crystal Guardian's head, anti-gravity stabilizer, and small ground installations will, be, will fetch 50 points. And finally, the large ground installation are a measly 20 points. After your scores reach 5,000, you earn an extra Thunder Fox airship. So uh, the manual suggests some strategies. Avoid the transporter platform when flying towards anti-gravity stabilizers, since if you run into these, you're dead. I did that quite a bit. Uh, you can score extra points by bombing ground installations and all four aliens in the alien formation. You can avoid alien formations by moving behind them. Aliens appear in the same sequence each time you travel across the outside of the transporter. Remembering the sequence will gain you some advantage in fighting them. As mentioned in the genre, Thunderfox is actually a clone of a C64 game called Iridium. Iridium was never released for the Atari 8-bit, but it was for the Atari ST. And on the NES, it was called The Last Starfighter, which this game really doesn't have anything to do in common with the movie. So it was a kind of a cheap movie tie-in. Other clones were Astromeda, Mirax Force, Oxygen, 
and vanadium. Now, Atari Mania categorizes as a shooter up Uridian, but uh, I'd categorize it as a side-scrolling space shooter. Maybe because it, you flip around when you change directions makes this a Uridian clone. Still, it's kind of funny that Atari Mania gives it, it this category for a Commodore game. So... <laughs> Um, there's also games like Dreadnought Factor and Last Guardian, which you attack hulking spaceships as well. But uh, with these, you only move in one direction, and it's up, not from side to side. Where can you buy this? Well, I can only find one place that had this on sale, and that was Video 61. That was a $34.95 US dollar, new in box. So, let's go to the reviews. David, what did you think of this game? Well, I had a little bit of a tough time uh, reviewing this game. Because I believe it is a good game, should have been a good game, could have been a good game, but it's just too hard. Okay, (laughs) so now that I got the disclaimer out and that I suck at gaming, let's start with my uh, scoring. Graphics, 8 out of 10. The scrolling is very smooth. Good graphics, although sometimes a bit bland on the outside of the ship. Fair amount of details, more inside uh, the ship uh, versus being outside the ship when it comes to details, but still um, good graphics and a good variety of enemies. Sound and music. This is where the game shined for me. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, The sound of the music in this game brings me back to the days of the arcade. Don't ask me why, but there were certain tones that reminded me of one of my favorite games, Kicks. Uh, and other games uh, that we reviewed previously, one of them being Star Raiders. Great intro theme, and uh, also end of game theme, uh, lots of sounds. And, um, you know, you'll, and you'll be hearing the intro and the outro themes a lot because you'll be dying a million times over. Now, gameplay. This is where the game suffered. I gave it a four out of 10. Now, uh, when you do fly, you do have two speeds, slow and fast. I did like the multi screens per level idea. You know, some parts being outside the ship, some parts being inside the ship, such as the thermonuclear laser room, uh, with, with its, uh, radiation level indicator and the energy crystal room. The level design seems a bit overly hard with many cheap deaths. The instructions warn you about the platforms, but you fly so fast it's easy to run into them. Also, some parts of the ship seem to kill you without any visual warning. It's really a trial and error to locate the taller parts of the ship that would destroy you. There wasn't really a good indicator of your altitude nor the ship areas uh, that were at your altitude or higher that would cause you harm. Some obstacles were very close together. Uh, one part on the first level, outside the ship level, there's two platforms, one on each side, with a circle thigmajigger in the middle that would shoot out these little green uh, Tetris pieces at you. Add to that the close proximity of these three obstacles, I'll call them, and the speed that you fly out, it equaled many, many deaths. Now, a great idea of having you choose your weapons by the spacebar or the option button for those who didn't have a keyboard. However, the use of the spacebar to switch between missiles and bombs does cost you as you've got to take off one of your hands from the controller to go ahead and make the switch. And your ship does move pretty fast, 
But this is more of a limitation on having a single fire button uh, controller rather than the game design. Now, as you die a lot, uh, the ship launching sequence can get repetitive. Presentation. Well, you got your usual nice-looking XEGS box art, a nice illustration of your ship on the front. The instructions are decent. I gave that 7 uh, out of 10. Now, overall impression. I gave this game overall a 7 out of 10. I really wanted to like this game. It looked great. Sound and music were some of the best so far on the games we reviewed, but it's really unforgiving. Maybe if the gaming area was a bit bigger with more room in between the obstacles, maybe that would have helped. But I've got to be honest, I won't be coming back for more. The solar system is lost. <laughs> Off to you, Michael. Well, I should have went first because I um, I kind of uh, saw the same things <laughs> that you saw here. I mean, starting off with the graphics, I gave it a six. Um, I like the launch sequence. Um, it starts off the top view and then switches to the side view. It's a nice start to the game, but I have to agree, you know, there's that repetitive, okay, we're launching again. So I, I, that's a great point. Um, the play field graphics, I felt were kind of mediocre and, and repetitive a lot of times. Um, I think they could have been approved a little bit. They weren't horrible. They were just kind of bland. Um, in fact, on the first screen, certain obstacles blend right in. That's what you said. Those are those obstacles near the uh, transporter. And let me just talk about that later when I get to gameplay. Um, the status part of the screen, it tempts to give depth to text, but again, it just seems kind of bland, unimaginative fonts, and not really a lot of color. Uh, the enemy ships do stand out, but that's probably because they're player missile graphics, and they only come in one formation, which does add some difficulty again, but then again, doesn't offer much uh, variety. There's a visual representation of the distance of the deadly Phalon war machine is at the very bottom from uh, your, essentially, it's like a timer. Um, I did like that. That stood out a little bit, gave a little character. Um, I did find that some of the graphics did, did give a little depth to the play field. But again, as I mentioned, it, it's just not very unique. Uh, for sound music, I gave it a six. Uh, the intro music uh, has a nice beat and a melody, but it's uh, slightly caustic and could require a little more refinement. Uh, still, it's kind of catchy. Game sounds are mixed bag. There's some sound effects that seem very unique, but at the same time, others seem dated. For gameplay, I gave it also a six. Uh, one real annoyance with the game, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, is the graphics in the graphics review is how some of the obstacles blend into the uh, background. This is again, I need to see what I'm need to fly around, and that's not the case in this game. It's it's basically the same color for the obstacles as the background. So um, I keep running into these things constantly. I mean, and you had mentioned the speed. I mean, it was like you speed up and you run in these things. I die, rinse, repeat. Um, and in fact, uh, I reread the manual, then realized what I was running into. So, I, you know, I had to wonder that I looked at other games that were similar, like uh, Astromita. And they had plenty of colors, so I don't know why they couldn't have done this, you know, made some things pop with color. But the obstacles do, I guess, add to the challenge of the game, so um, having them blend in the background, like I said, it's challenging, but it's more frustrating. Presentation, I give it a six. The title screen is, again, very basic, bland colors and style um, for the title and lettering. So it does have a Hall of Fame page, um, which essentially has um, contains all your high scores. Uh, it has stylistic fonts, multiple colors, and the scores scroll across. But um, I noticed the fonts were just the same font, just a different graphics mode. So, you know, not 
too unique, but at the same time, better than some of the other screens. The game also has a demo, um, which is nice, but it's only one demo. There's no randomness to the demo. So, um, you know, it just kind of repeats over and over. But the game over screen is also kind of bland. It's just this kind of bands of color in your score. It's just not very original. And the manual is your typical run-of-the-mill XEGS manual, six pages in total, no color, and just a few images describing game screen elements. It does offer a good overview of the game and scoring. I do like the cover image. It's nothing outstanding, but I have definitely seen worse uh, ones for the XEGS. So my overall impression is a solid six. As mentioned previously, this game is a mixed bag of good ideas and bad, but nothing horrible. I just think that uh, for a game that was released in 1987, it shouldn't look like a game that was released in 1982. Uh, this is the only Uridian clone on cartridge, but since there are other clones on other forms of media, I don't think this is the first one I would play um, out of the group. So we got some external reviews. Atari Mania gave it a 5 out of 10 with 31 votes. And that is it. <laughs> Well, you know, I was, uh, you know, we uh, hinted at our listeners, you know, please give us some feedback. We need some feedback. Can you give us some feedback? Feedback would be appreciated. And thankfully, Mark Rathwell came to the rescue. He posted on our Facebook page. And this is what he said. Thunderfox was so damn hard. <laughs> I wanted to like it, but found the difficulty so frustrating that I hated it. Shame because there weren't many shooter carts like this on the XC or the 7800. Very true. Very true. Budget games. Such a deal. Yep, well, we got a second to review. That is our budget game, our last budget game, Sidewinder 2. This is a Virgin Mastertronic published release. Uh, the year was 1989. The uh, genre is a vertical scrolling shoot 'em up developed by Arena Developments with Anthony J. Wilson, Russell Knight, and again, the sound guy, Aurel Cornelius. He gets around for sound. So the description is, it is 20 years later since the final battle of the war with the aliens. 27 years of peace have reigned in the western spiral arm ga- uh, of the galaxy. All this is about to change. So how do we play this game? You've accessed an alien battle station via a tunnel used to vent excess energy. Along the tunnel walls are defensive positions that would try to shoot and destroy you. Return fire and take out the defense positions. You'll also have to avoid large venting doors that open and close. These will have to be avoided since they can't be destroyed. But that's not all because the vent is maintained by maintenance drones looking for faults or defense drones ready to repel scavengers or, in this case, you. You can control the speed of your ship by moving the stick forward or back, even bring it to a complete stop. You start with three lives and a full fuel tank. Fuel seems to act like shields since they only diminish when your ship gets hit. Some electric fields offer fueling areas that uh, appear as a shimmering plasma cloud. Just park your ship within the area to top off your tank. The game also offers upgrades to your guns and invincibility for five seconds. Make contact with these green-tinted items to enable. So what's the legacy? Well, uh, because this is number two, there must have been number one, right? The original Sidewinder was published by Arcadia Systems Incorporated and located in Costa Mesa, California. They were part of the uh, Master Chronics group. The game appears on the Amiga, PC, and in the arcades, but not on the Atari 8-bit system. 
In this game, you destroy the Star Killer ship. According to the manual, the enemy ship in Sidewinder 2 is many times larger than the one in the first game. Other ports? Game came on the Atari ST, Amiga, Commodore 64, and ZX Spectrum. So, David, what did you think of this game? All right. I'm going to give the graphics a 7 out of 10. Uh, I thought they were nice graphics. I like the energy bowl effects. Now, it was mostly grays with a smattering of other colors. That wasn't such a bad thing as it makes the colors pop more and better distinguish themselves from the background, like the yellows, purple, greens. Um, sound and music, I gave it a 5 out of 10. A good intro theme, but that's the only music in the game. Explosions are okay. Uh, the laser fire sound from your ship could have been different. In the game, it's like... I would have preferred the pew, 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 pew. Uh, wish they had some energy type sound effects uh, when you got near the energy barriers. Now, gameplay, I gave it 8 out of 10. Now, I must temper this after dying 1 million deaths <laughs> on our first game, Thunder Fox. I must have thought this was an amazing, awesome game because I actually was able to get anywhere with it. So somehow I gave it an 8 out of 10. I said, love the fact you can stop at the bottom of the screen and choose what obstacle to fire at. That's where Michael was talking about how you can halt and uh, you can actually stop moving forward. Uh, with my slow down reflexes and bad players like me, that you know that's a plus. Uh, I thought the level design was great. Lots of variety in the obstacles and tunnels that you fly through. Uh, you know, you have energy barriers versus physical barriers. Plus, your ship can take multi-hits. Just keep looking at your energy meter, and it's much more forgiving than Thunder Fox. Uh, presentation, I gave it a 6 out of 10. I thought there was nice cassette cover art. Uh, your illustration of your ship was nice. Screenshots were included, and a very, very basic intro to the game. Not really instructions per se, but by that time, I think we were all comfortable with shmups, so I guess we didn't need any. You know, just press fire and move, right? So, uh, the overall impression, I give this game a 6.5 out of 10. It's pretty good for a budget title. Had more fun with this than Thunder Fox, and I may return for a few more rounds in the future. <laughs> and that's about it. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I gave the graphics a 7 as well. Um, it appears they're using some horizontal blanks, which give the um, page some um, kind of a multi-shaded color. If you've ever seen Graphics Mode 9, it looks a lot like that. I don't exactly like the color of the your ship. It's They use that baby blue color that's available in your player missile graphics. I think they could have used a different color, but um, it's, it is what it is. It stands out, I guess. I do like how your ship kind of banks from left to right. That was kind of cool when you move your stick. Display area font isn't unique, but it fits the look of the game and, once again, incorporated horizontal blanks to add color, which is very nice. You don't see that a lot in these budget games. Uh, Sound of Music, I gave it a 7. The intro melody is pretty good and it's got a good beat. Sound effects, uh, good explosion sounds, and bonus pickups are creative, but the sound uh, from your guns isn't exactly meaty. You mentioned that, David, and uh, sound more like a uh, rapid-firing dart gun, like you said. What was that sound? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, sort of like air coming out of a balloon. Yeah, pretty much. It didn't feel like it was like, oh, yeah, I got some good guns here, you know? I mean, it's not bad sound. It's just not a, you know really all that appropriate for this situation. I, um, when the ship comes in contact with the obstacles, it drains your fuel. You will hear a slight buzzing sound, which is good. I like the indicator. But other than those sounds, those four, uh, kind of four, the game is devoid of any other audio enhancement. I mean, when you encounter an arcing electro field, like you said, or the sliding doors or shots being fired at you from the you know, side positions, it's quiet. It, it just feels like 
um, did you guys finish this game? You know, <laughs> uh, there's just not the quality there for the sound. I just felt in some cases it was lacking. Uh, but what was there was was well done. So, well, they probably they probably saved all the resources for the opening tune. Exactly. Yeah, they like you got you got you know ten days to get this thing done. Where should we put our efforts? Not in the game, definitely in the music. <laughs> So as far as gameplay go, I give it, I give it a six. Uh, the wall-mounted guns fire in different directions, not just at one. This makes the game way more challenging, but I didn't notice the shots would disappear sometimes. They'd fire and then just evaporate. Uh, this is I, I assume this is probably caused by too many elements on the screen. Unlike many games of this type, you don't experience instant death when you touch the walls, but it does drain your fuel. Funny thing about the fuel acting as a shield, I looked at the Atari, uh, Amiga and Atari ST versions and it's labeled as shields, not fuel. So this is a very unique label for this game. There's no other indicators that your shots are hitting the enemies. I mean, um, I would expect it that if they hit something and like it's not dying the first time it would the the thing would flash a little bit but there's nothing there's no sound there's no lights no nothing so you never know if you're hitting anything i'm blasting away at things like am i killing this thing or and it really, i know it just really detracts from the gameplay in fact i looked at the other versions of this game and one shot kills those wall mounted things so i think there's probably hit to detection problem uh, in this game, um, I would also expected uh, after you finish the level to some indicator that you're going on to the next screen. Pretty much as the level ends, it just goes into the next level, and there's like this blank area. It should say like completed level one or congratulations or something. It says absolutely nothing. So you just essentially you're just done and then on to the next level, I guess. And um, although you have the ability to stop, I think it actually kind of slows down the game action. Uh, stopping is definitely needed to play this game, but better le- level design could have made uh, the need for this unnecessary. For presentation, I give it a five. The cover looks like some uh, sci-fi space image you'd see on a $2 peachy. Or, uh, you know, full paper folder you get in high school. The instructions are lacking a bit. You mentioned that, David. Some of the specifics of the game I mentioned above were not covered in the instructions. The missing information is not necessary to play the game. Omitting them has a little, little impact on the game, uh, the overall experience. But it would be nice to see at least know what the power-ups did. As with the XEGS games, this is a typical, this is typical of Master Fox packaging. But since it uh, was at a significantly lower price, I uh, had no grand expectations when it comes to the cat- this category. You get what you pay for. So overall impressions, I give a six. If it wasn't for the need to stop your ship to shoot things, as well as the unfinished feel of the game, I think this could have been a, a very enjoyable game. This game rides in the line of potential. There's definitely a skilled de- developer behind it, but it lacks a creative mind to make it stand out. Uh, as far as external reviews, we only have one again. It's Atari Mania, like 4.8. 8 out of 10 with 24 votes. Well, I wanted to say it seems that after taking a look at our reviews and taking a look at uh, what Atari Mania members give for their reviews, we're really, we're really easy. Yeah, it's funny when we, um, well, even it, they're pretty close to them. So I'm always surprised when I, I do my review first and then I do this at the very end when I'm collecting this. And I'm like, oh, well, I was right. <laughs> the fans agree with me. I just think if you take a look at the the two reviews of Atari Mania, I think we still gave it better reviews. Oh, slightly, yeah. I definitely agree, yeah, Yeah, slightly. Okay. Hey, everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Have you ever wondered why Yar wanted revenge? How one becomes a frogger, exactly? Why those robots in Berserk went, well, Berserk? Me too. 
On Atari Bytes, we do more than review the games. We dig deep to find the story of the characters within the games. If we know the actual story, we tell you that. If we don't know the story, which is more often the case, we make one up. Hopefully, to your amusement. And occasionally, to provoke a thought or two. So if this sounds interesting to you, I hope you'll check out Atari Bytes. B-Y-T-E-S. Wherever fine podcasts are sold for absolutely no money at all. Thanks. Well, now let's talk about user feedback, since we've just finished those two draining, lovely game <laughs> reviews. Uh, and it comes to uh, email feedback. First off, Eugenio wanted to thank us for our podcast. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. He's got, um, he got his complete uh, box, XEGS, last year, after years of looking at the picture of the console and salivating over it. Wow. That, yeah, and that love started back way back in 87. So that's some serious uh, pining there. <laughs> uh, he's not only collecting the produced games, but also the homebrew. He found this podcast very helpful since he didn't realize some of the games uh, released for the XEGS were unique versions of those games not released on the other systems. Another email we got was from Kim Slauson. Uh, Kim listened to episode 11, where we covered two isometric games, which made Kim think of uh, Load Runner's Rescue. Uh, Kim would love to hear us review this game as well. Okay, well, we'll put it on the list. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, try to get, let's try to get the actual, uh, you know, line of XCGS yeah. game cards uh, reviewed first at the uh, lightning speed that we're going through uh, with our uh, releases. Yeah. Well, that's about it for the show. Um, in our next episode, we have a dandy of a show where we crawl through two dungeon-based shooters. First, we review the XCGS game Dark Chambers. Then we pit it against the 8-bit arcade version of Gauntlet. Who will be victorious? You can find our latest episodes, news, and information on our website, www.xegs8bit.com. We also have links on there, so you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to thank ComputeHer for giving us permission to use her song software as our show's theme song. You can visit ComputeHer at ComputeHer.com. That's ComputeHer.com for more information. Also thanks to the folks who contribute to and maintain the Atari Mania database, Wikipedia, and other fine results on Google searching. We are part of the Throwback Network, a group of podcasters with one thing in common. We all love old things. Whether it's old video games, old movies, old toys, or simply old stories, the Throwback Network is the place to find them all. Visit throwbacknetwork.net to learn more. So you, know, you just basically say, so what's up with you, Michael? Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> so what's up with you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that goes in the bloopers. I know, I know. I know. Okay, okay. Karen has informed... Let me tell you something. I... Ooh. I'm a glutton for punishment because I have to edit this thing and I am the master of flops, okay? Let me take some water. No, I, don't blame I think you. I think recording this uh, part of the podcast was just as fun as playing this game. Hold on a second. Come <laughs> <clears throat> some ice here. I should have read through this again. What the heck am I saying here? What was I smoking? Travel to the far right side of the outside of the transporter. It was all those uh, cleaning agents you were using in <laughs> your computer. On the back of the box, it says, um, sorry, let's see here. On the back of the box, sorry, the back of the back of the box. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I'm screwing up here. Okay. Michael, I'm the one who's supposed to screw <laughs> up. Okay. <laughs>
Flub You're it. the one who's supposed to be awesome. Yeah, one know. take uh, wonder. Yeah, well, I did a lot of editing in the past. So now, yeah. oh, okay, so you're, you're, you're tit for tat. Okay, fine. Exactly.